Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is The Gear Room. I'm your host, Drew. The Gear Room is your place for firearms, news, and entertainment. Today, we'll be discussing the Dangerous House Resolution 127, Virtual Shot Show, and a new movie that caught me off guard in a good way, The Tax Collector. All right, this is episode one, so I thought I should do a quick rundown into me. This will be more of my military experience and my passions. I served six years in the United States Marine Corps as an 0311. I was a part of 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines, based out of Camp Pelham's in California. I did two deployments and three workups. I deployed to I deployed to Afghanistan once, and I deployed upon the 31st Mew IEAS back in late 2015. Since then, I worked as a range safety officer at the Premier Gun Range in Las Vegas, aka Battlefield Vegas. I also run the website, the Loadout Blog, in my free time. And I've been doing that since 2019. All right, into my passions. Obviously, firearms. I love engrossing myself in firearms and firearms knowledge. I strive to be a better shooter day in and day out. I am a student of the game. I love to read and write. I mainly read up on philosophy and history. I read both for perspective and understanding. There are so many lessons to be learned from the past. Those who don't understand the past are doomed to repeat it. I love comic books and anime. I'm not as big of the gamer as I used to be, but I occasionally do jump on the sticks. Um, that's a quick rundown about me. Uh, let's dive into the first episode of the Gear Room. All right, first topic up to bat on the Gear Room is the Dangerous House Resolution 127, introduced by Sheila Jackson Lee, Democratic Congresswoman from Texas. The official text for this bill wasn't released until Friday and it is potentially disastrous to the firearms community. And what I mean by Friday, last Friday, okay? All right, so I wrote an article about this. Uh, it was an Intel brief article I wrote called uh, Taking a Deeper Look at HR 127. That is what I'm gonna be referencing uh, throughout, throughout, this, uh, part of the com throughout this part of the conversation, okay? Um, it gives a nice flow, a nice mental flow of how I, want every how I want to talk about everything. So we're gonna roll with it that way and we'll keep everything nice and orderly in that. All right, so we're going to break it. So let's break this whole situation now. So let's talk about the summary here. So let's get into the nitty gritty of this bill. So when H.R. 127 was originally introduced back on the 4th of January, we did not know much about the bill itself. All we knew was its name and it sought to license firearms, ammunition and ammunition and put in place a weapons ban. Now we know the nitty gritty details on what is to come with this legislation. This legislation seeks to create a firearms registry, a licensing system, ban large capacity magazines, and ban certain calibers of ammunition. Now let's start discussing this potential legislation, okay? So the core concepts of this legislation is to create a firearms registry, point blank. No mixing words. It is about creating a, weapon, a, a, a firearms registry and to enact certain things to make firearm ownership difficult to where it's a hassle and it's a monetary burden on people. Okay. Uh, they're trying to take their approach to see people, humans like the path of least resistance. Right. And with this registry, what they're creating is resistance. And when you get resistance in, in play, most people are going to say, nah, fuck that dog. I'm good. All right. And they're not going to want to own firearms. And it's just going to stop more people from owning firearms. And it's going to make the people who have firearms, it's going to make their lives a little bit hell because it's going to be so many loops to jump through. Right. All right. So like I was saying before, you have the, the core concept of the firearm registry. You have 
uh, and from from that core concept of the firearm registry, everything spiders out in branches. OK, and then and then everything ties back into the registry. OK, so registry branches out. Then if you follow the follow the branches back in, it leads back to the it leads back to a registry. OK. All right. So let's discuss the registry. Uh, H.R. 127 seeks the creation and establishment of a federal firearms registry. This registry will be accessible by federal, state, and local uh, government agencies. The general public will also have access and the ability to search this firearms registry. This registry will track make, model, serial numbers of firearms, date acquired, owners, and how the firearms being stored. AKA, they're gonna be all up in our shit. Right. So that when when I read that, that's the only thing I, I think <laughs> you were just trying to be all up in my shit. And I don't like it. I don't like the registration. I don't like the ideas behind it. I don't like the restriction of our Second Amendment rights. So that's what HR 127 is trying to do. It is trying to implement a firearms registry, right? And that firearms registry is going to be on a federal, state, and local level, right? And the registry will be tracking make, model, serial, serial numbers of firearms, date acquired, owners, and how the firearms are going to be stored, okay? So... Yeah, man, that's just, that's just this this HR one twenty seven is bad, and that's just the beginning of it. Okay, so that's the federal firearms registry, plain and simple. Right, they're just trying to be all up in shit. All right, so gun licensing. All right, so we're getting into one of those branching concepts. Okay, gun licensing. In addition to the registry, HR one twenty seven looks to establish a federal firearms licensing requirement to own a firearm. Applicants applying for the licensing must be 21 years of age, undergo a next background check, complete a psychological evaluation, complete 24 hours of firearm training, and pay $800 for firearm insurance to the federal government. Why? 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 Why is all this needed? I have a lot. I have an issue with gun licensing and registration. Why is all this needed? Okay, one, let's start off. Let, let's start off for the beginning. One, you had to be 21 years of age. I feel like if you're if you're 18 and you're able to serve this country in the United States military, you should be allowed to drink and own firearms. Point blank. The drinking age back in the day used to be 18 and then it got changed and changed to changed to 21. All right. Uh undergoing this background check, that's kind of nil because that's already in place, right? Complete a psychological evaluation. No. No, the only thing that a psychological evaluation is going to do is disqualify millions of Americans. No questions asked. That's what a psychological evaluation is going to do. Um, and I will explain more about that next because we're going to go more in depth about that. OK, uh, complete 24 hours of firearm training. I am proponent of firearm training. I think you should get all the firearm training that you can get. I think you should uh, look and seek for that knowledge because it's necessary to be a safe and smart gun owner. What I don't like is federally mandated training. Don't like it. Nope, just don't like it. Just, just don't like the concept of it. I don't like federally mandated uh, firearms training. Uh, pay $800 for firearms insurance to the federal government. Why? How are they even going to enact that? How, how? What What would be the process? How will the insurance protect me? How will they insure? How, like, why? Why? Why, 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 why am I paying firearms insurance to the federal government? All right. So now they're trying to tax you without representation and they're technically trying to quadruple tax you. Right. Because you got to look at it. The registry is going to be on a federal, state and local level. Right. 
So which means if she wants a, uh, on a federally and state local level, that means they're going to tax you for registering your weapons on a federally and state local level. That means it's all about money and greed and taxing you without representation for these things. So, yeah, they're just trying to tax you without representation for these things. And people like say, oh, well, how are they taxing you with a registry? The registry might not be a blatant tax, but those processing fees to tax that uh, the processing fees to submit that paperwork, you can essentially call that a tax. And then you got an 800 tax on top of it. So they're trying to quadruple tax you for it. Nah, man, I ain't playing these games, dude. I'm not playing these games. It's it's obvious that they they own that bullshit. And this bill is just meant to be a path of extreme resistance to de to deter people from owning firearms, right? And to make the people who have who own firearms to make their lives more miserable. Okay. So let's get more in depth into the psychological evaluation portion of it. Okay. Um, in regards to the psychological evaluation, you will see a licensed psychologist. This mental health uh, healthcare provider would determine if you are mentally fit to own and possess firearms. Also, the psychologist will interview an individual spouse, two family members, or two close associates to further determine the state of mental, emotional, and relational stability of an individual in relation to firearms. Firearm licensing will be denied to individuals hospitalized for mental illness or disturbance, disqualifying mental illnesses are depression, homicidal or suicidal ideation, suicide attempts, or addiction to a controlled substance. This legislation doesn't discuss how long or if any of these steps can be taken by the applicant to achieve a firearms license. I don't like this because this psychological evaluation is going to naturally disqualify millions of Americans, right? Because there's so many Americans that deal with depression. There's so many depressed uh, Americans that deal with alcohol and substance abuse. There's so many Americans that deal with that. And those things are people's mental wellness is important to me. And those things should not disqualify you from owning a firearm, right? Uh, they are just seeking ways to not allow you to own firearms. Um, and I feel like this is a big one. I feel like that shouldn't be in place. Um, because it's just, it's just wrong. People struggle with depression and people struggle with alcohol addiction and control, uh, addiction to control substances, but that doesn't mean they shouldn't be on a firearm. If they're doing everything properly that they need to on their own level, minus the government being all up in your shit on their own level, if they're doing everything that they need to do and they're in a good, healthy place, there's no reason that they shouldn't be able to own a firearm. I know I'll get arguments against that from people, uh, from people, but that's just where I feel. And I'll stand by that. Um, and the thing about it, let's say it doesn't even tell it doesn't even give you guidance on how to get back from the brain. So what I mean by get back from the brain. So it says if you're hospitalized for mental illness or disturbance and then disqualifying mental illnesses or depression, I, I choose depression and uh, addiction to a controlled substance because those are a lot of things people struggle with. So let's say your family members say you're struggling with depression and say, hey, man, I see you've been struggling with depression ever since 2020. I want you to go seek some help, man. We worry about you. Even if you were proactive on going to seek help, it's automatically going to disqualify you. So does that disqualification mean that if I already own firearms, they're going to come naturally and confiscate them? Or what? what's the deal? It doesn't even give clear guidance on that. Like, man, that's just a, that's just, that's just a Pandora's box of bullshit. Because once you open that box, it's just, 
it's just nothing but trouble, right? So then you have that. Now let's get into uh, the loaning of firearms, right? So the loaning of firearms. So let's say I, I want to load a firearm to a buddy. Say he, say one of my boys came to me and say, "Hey, bro, man, the house just got broke into. Nobody was home when it happened. They took a whole bunch of stuff. We're worried about. I'm worried about somebody coming back. Can you let me borrow a piece? I got you, homie. No problems. I'm gonna make sure I give him the weapon, magazines, somewhere somehow to safely store it." And tell him these are the precautions that you need to take, right? And then I'll just loan it to him, get it back to me, play it when you got time. Under this, they want you, you can still loan it, right? But it's gonna be, it's gonna be resistance, right? It's gonna be, you gotta do a dance. So the dance is you have to make a copy of his photo ID. You're gonna have to figure out how long you're gonna have to loan him. Do you plan on loaning him that weapon? And then from there, you're gonna have to submit that to the Federal Firearms Registry. So they can track it. Not player. Again, not playing that game, man. They be on that. They be on that bullshit. So as we can see, just with the firearms registry alone, is that this registry is meant to be a path of resistance, right? Because they they're trying to make this process as hard as possible, so it will deter people from wanting to own a firearm, right? Which is messed up. Um, and is a complete infringement on your rights. Now let's talk about uh, the military style weapons, uh, AKA the, the weapons ban and the ammunition and magazine bans. Okay. All right. So let's talk about uh, the weapons ban. So uh, to possess a military style weapon, applicants must undergo 24 hours of firearm safety and live fire training. It is unclear in the legislation uh, if it is in, if it is an additional 24 hours on top of the original safety training to possess firearms and ammunition, interpretation of what is deemed a military-style weapon will fall under California and New Jersey's definitions of an assault weapon, which are identified by name or because they possess two or more common features. Those features include adjustable butt stocks, folding stocks, pistol grips, flash departures, threaded barrels, and much more. All right, so for you to continue to own, because they they want to implement a weapons ban, right? uh with this with this legislation what i read to you is what it what it will take for you to continue to possess this to to possess those firearms but it talks about a weapons man the weapons man when it talks about it is going to be it's going to be banning uh assault weapons but it's going to fall under the california new jersey definitions okay um what's also going to happen so when you hear AR style, I'm not AR style weapon, but when you hear military style weapon, we already know they're talking about an AR-15, AK-47, any any AR type platform. That's where they're that's where they're talking about, um, and we already know that. And when they use terminology like because they possess two or more common features of adjustable butt stocks, every AR has an adjustable butt stocks, butt stocks like an M16 variant, uh, folding stocks. Your law tactical, civilian arms, folding stocks. Everyone has a pistol grip. Every AR has a pistol grip. Flash oppressors, common. Threaded barrels, common. You know, these all are common features of an AR-15 platform. Even the AK-47, these are common features. So they say either by name or by def- or, or by common features. So they're coming after those. They're trying to ban those. And they said if you want to continue to own those, you have to go through 24 hours of, of, of safety and live fire training. Now that safety and live fire training, I don't know if that's 
like I said uh, from my article, I don't know if that's an additional 24 hours or if that's 24 hours in the initial, a part of the initial assessment for uh, your firearms licensing, which is a complete, complete Bologna. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta talk about that. So 24 hours, right? So potentially 48 hours of firearms training to just own your military, just to own your AR-15, right? So, even so to just on your year 15 now they're also trying to say they want to know they want to have information on how you plan on displaying antique weapons okay so let's say i own the air not air 15 but let's say i own the m1 grand all right i like m1 grand so that's why i mentioned that one let's say i own the m1 grand and i just wanted to display it right over my fireplace or you know somewhere on on a, on a wall uh, what i would have to do to, to display an antique weapon under HR 127, I would have to provide evidence that I own the weapon. So proof of purchase, right? Next, I would have to describe where it's going to be displayed in my house. And finally, I have to demonstrate the ability to safely store that item in my home. Why? It's mine. I want to display it. Why in the hell do you need to know how I bought it, where I plan on displaying it, and how it's going to be stored? So do you plan on me taking this down? every night and putting it in a safe it's a display item it's meant to be displayed i'm not gonna take it down and put it i'm not gonna put it up and take it down every day that makes no goddamn sense then it's no point in displaying it then it becomes a hassle and i think that's what i don't know if they want you want to do that but the the it's so vague i don't know what to think <laughs> like that's that like like the, when I think about it when when I hear they they want to know if I have the ability to safely store it I feel like they want me to take it down every night and put it up every morning like I'm doing colors and Reveille like come on man come like come on man let's not play those games dude let's not play those games that, that that's just a whole bunch of that's just a whole bunch of nonsense like they just they just, like I said before they're trying to be all up in your shit all right and then last but not least we're gonna talk about the ammunition and magazine ban. Finally, HR 127 seeks to ban the sale of certain ammunition and ban what it calls large capacity magazines. The ammunition ban would ban the sale of ammunition of 50 caliber and higher. Uh, the magazine ban would cover large capacity magazines, both for pistol and rifle. That means any large capacity feeding devices, i.e. magazine drums, belts and feed strips would be prohibited. <sighs> All right. So. Joe, uh, President uh, President Joe Biden had already discussed during during his presidential campaign that anything beyond 10, ma 10 rounds is too much to have in a magazine. He considers anything above 10 a high capacity magazine, right? Or a large capacity magazine, however they want to classify it. Most standard pistols. So a Glock 17 is going to be 17 plus one, right? So most standard pistols are going to have high capacity magazines, right? Uh, the standard AR mag is going to be under under their terminology is going to be a high capacity magazine, right? Not true. Those are all standard capacity magazines. Verbiage is key, and that's what they try to do is play this ver this, this word game with you, right? So now they're going to say they're going to ban ammunition fifty caliber greater. So they're doing California, New Jersey stuff. California bans fifty BMG, but there's variants that they've created of 50 bmg so it's 50 bmg without being 50 bmg if you smell what the rock is cooking smell what the rock is cooking so and they're gonna drum they're gonna ban magazine drums belts and etc etc right in this high capacity magazine band 
which makes no sense. Now, the kicker for the for for the ammunition and magazine ban is the potential jail time that you can get for being outside the law on this. Hold on. Let me read. Anyone who knowingly violates this ban will be fined no less than $50,000 and up to $100,000 fine. You could also face 10 to 20 years in prison and also be fined. If anyone knowingly violates this ban, no less than 50K. They're going to start you off at 50K, dog. That's why I'm saying they're trying to scare you. They're trying to scare us into compliance because when because most people are going to be like, no, dog, I just ain't going to comply. And then if you're in, if you're in non-compliance of this ban, ammunition and weapons ban, it's they're already going to they're already going to say that you get no less than 50K, no less than 50K. That's the starting point is 50. So you ain't getting no less than 50K. Then upwards to $100,000. Who has the money to, to pay that besides the rich and the wealthy? Who? No average American has the money to pay it. So they're trying to create forced compliance, okay? They're trying to create forced compliance, and it's crazy. So the main concept of this registry, to wrap this whole little section up, the main concept of this registry is to lead to gun confiscation, point blank. They're trying to make the... They're trying to make it so difficult for you to own a firearm that you don't want to own a firearm. And they're trying to scare you into compliance. Right. So those people who are going around and saying, no, nah, dog, I'm just going I'm just going to keep my guns and not comply. They say, all right, play a pimp. Let's play this game. Then you don't, you don't want to comply. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be up to f no less than 50K and up to 100K. If you get caught with any of these items that have been banned under this bill. So play games, boy. <laughs> so play games and see and see where, and see where you're at. So, like I to wrap up this whole section, this whole this whole HR 127 is dangerous and disastrous for the firearms community, and it can have some potentially serious ramifications. Okay, but what this registry is trying to create, this registry is trying to get us to the steps of confiscation. All right, and we can look at examples. Of other countries of other countries when it came down to registries and confiscations. Okay. Let's look at New Zealand. That's the most recent one. New Zealand already had a registry in place. And then after that mass shooting happened, the what the prime minister did was just put and put in place a gun confiscation. Right. We can look to Australia, registry, gun confiscation. We can look to the UK, registry, gun confiscation. Now, these were some of these were fast, some of these were slow burns, right? But they play the long game in this situation. So we have to be prepared to play the long game also. This registration equals confiscation. Point blank. No questions asked. Look to history. And if you and for people who say differently are either being disingenuous, are either sorry, are either being disingenuous, they don't understand history. Or they're being ignorant and all three are unacceptable because these are your rights right so i understand that some people may not like guns and that's your every right because it's called this that it's this thing called america you have a right not to like something that i enjoy you don't have to partake in it but you don't need to be restricting other people's rights because as soon as you restrict the right of one person they can restrict the right of another person and is eventually going to come and find you so this firearm registry, it leads to nothing but confiscation and people need to be aware of it. People need to be ready to fight it and people need to be proactive, man. We Republicans and people in the firearms industry, for the most part, are usually reactive. We don't need to be reactive anymore. We need to be proactive. We need to be putting our own messages out there. We need to be putting our own 
commercials out there. We need to be doing whatever we need to do to change the narrative and get education out there because information is key and information is king. And long as they control the information cycle and narrative, we will always be behind the eight ball. Prime example, this registration. Because they're always talking about common sense gun laws and common sense gun laws are just are just restrictions. That's all they are. And a blatant infringement on our segment of rights. OK, so that's H.R. 127 and what uh, what it potentially can uh, what it potentially has the capability of doing to the community. Uh, next, we're going to roll into virtual shot show. All right. Now we're going to move into our next topic of the first episode of the gear room and we're going to discuss virtual shot show now shot show wasn't able to go down this year due to covid and the rona just like everything else uh that stopped to stop the world in 2020 it stopped the world a little bit in 2021 unfortunately okay uh the national shooting sports foundation tried to pivot the best they could and do a virtual shot show where they were going to be live streaming everything uh with uh, firearms manufacturers and vendors uh when it came down uh within the industry it was okay man uh, it wasn't that bad. Uh, they also, some of the companies went out on their own and did their own live stream or product releases uh, throughout the week or two uh, before and uh, during SHOT Show, which was good. So you you got product drops, but it wasn't anything that was mind-blowing uh, for the most part. Uh, the only thing that was mind-blowing the whole time was uh, Zev's and, Zev and Magpul coming together to do the FMG9, now renamed as the FDC9. That's the only thing I really... That was really like mind blowing that came out right uh, other than that everything was pretty much mediocre i know some people say shot shows the same thing all over again every year there's not really any major changes in product releases that's true right uh what you see is a more of a refinement of products which isn't a bad thing right we're just at a point of firearms industry everything is about refinement refinement of products refinement of gear refining of a concept and ideas somebody might have a slightly new twist on something to refine it right it's about refining when you get an idea, and this is what people miss, when you get an idea or when you make something, it's about refining that idea, right? Apple is really good at this. Um, they're really good at refining ideas. They have an idea, they give you an idea, and then over time, the iPhone, with throughout all their iterations, has just been a refinement of their end goal that they're trying to achieve, and people keep buying them, right? So that's the same thing in the firearms industry. The fire, main thing that SHOT Show allows is allows for... Uh, connecting right um making making connections uh within the industry and you know just helping each other out so that's the big thing of shot show it's a big meaning place of making a connection and everybody you know just kind of helping each other out so um today what we're going to be discussing that i found interesting from virtual shot show right is going to be uh primary arms new prism optics vortex coming also coming out with some new prisms Shadow system with their full size Glock. Timmy Timmy triggers coming in with a with a drop in trigger. Sig uh, making a P three twenty X carry Legion, and then uh, finally, but not least, uh, FD the FDC nine by Magpul and Zev Technologies. Right, so coming in strong at the end. But these are the things I want to talk to talk about, and we're gonna start off with uh, primary arms, new optics, and let's get into it. All right, so we're gonna talk about primary arms products for 2020 round when it comes down to their, to their optics okay i am a firm believer that primary arm makes some of the best budget to upper tier level optics that you can find on the market right gonna have good solid glass good build quality and uh 
good, easy to understand reticle systems. I think they make some of the best like budget reticles. I mean, not budget reticle, budget optics on the market. Budget to that upper tier. Primary arms is a good place to start, man. Uh, we use them on the range. They're reliable. We beat them to shit and they still run. Uh, so they'll run to the wheels fall off, man. They have a good warranty that if they break or anything, you send them in, they'll either fix it or send you, send you a new one. Uh, so they're really good on that. Uh, I like primary arms optics. If you haven't tried their stuff out, I would, uh, that's just my suggestion. You don't have to do anything. I tell you, man, that's just my suggestion. I trust their products. I've seen them work and I know they're going to work. So the main thing that I want to bring up that they're coming out with from their product release, right. Are these micro prisms, right? So they're going to have the SLX. 1x micro prism and the slx 3x micro prism right now the thing about these micro prisms to me obviously the name micro means that they're going to be small but what i mean by small man the size of these micro prisms literally legitimately look like the size of a vortex crossfire or a trigicon mro like they're that small and you're gonna they're coming with an etch reticle on the inside illumination and all that good stuff now, the reticle system that there's going to be running is going to be running the uh, ACSS system, ACSS system. I just want to make sure I was saying it right. Uh, that Dimitri designed uh, for these uh, line of optics and just for primary arms and their optics in general. Uh, that's going to be solid. It's going to have that BDC in it with that uh, with that ACSS reticle with these with these micro prism. Now, what I don't know is the price of these prisms. Right. Um, I'm going to say they're going to run a few hundred dollars. I would say two to four. I say probably like 200 and something for the 1X one, the SLX 1X, and then probably 300 or so for the 3X Prism. Um, so like I said, it's going to have an extra etch reticle. It has an auto live. So if you have the brightness on, if you bring the rifle up, it should uh, that should automatically turn on. And it's going to have the the ACSS reticle system that I was talking about before, right? Like, But, I, but like I said, the main thing about these things, man, they are small. They are really small um, in a good way. And I, and I like that. Uh, also, what they're coming out with, they're coming out with two. Uh, they're coming out one one LPVO and then one mid range scope. OK, so their LPVO is going to be from their GLX line. It's going to be a GLX one to six first focal plane. Uh, doesn't give a price about that. But I'm assuming it's going to have an ACS reticle and maybe some ACS reticle variants in it. Uh, and then they're coming out with a, a SLX four to 16 to replace their four to 14. Uh, mid-range optic and also going to be first focal plane uh it's gonna probably it's gonna have a a variant of that acs reticle probably the griffin over the aurora <clears throat> if i could imagine so um and then they're going to come out with a new micro red, red dot the slx md20 uh i have the xlx md25 and you'll be surprised that having that larger objective that rear that that objective glass on the rear makes a big difference man uh, makes a really big difference because it gives you more field of view than you than you thought you would than, than you normally have. It's really really nice. Um, but they're coming out with a micro red dot, the SLX MD20. Now another interesting one from from <clears throat> from Primary Arms is their mini reflex sight for your pistol. Right, it's going to have that chevron that is familiar from the uh, ACS reticle instead of your classic red dot, which I think is a which is a nice change of pace. Uh, the, the micro red dot and the mini reflex site are available for pre-order. Everything else is coming soon. So I don't know prices, but I think everything's going to be fairly priced because it is from primary arms. All right. So next we're going to get into, 
uh, vortex new prisms. All right, now we're going to be talking about vortexes two new prism scopes that they're going to have, right? So what Vortex did, they have released Gen 2 of the new Spitfires, right? So this is going to be the Spitfire HD Gen 2s. Uh, it's going to be their new compact prism scopes. So like I said before, one's going to be in three power, or maybe I haven't. One's going to be in three power, one's going to be in five power. It's going to be fixed magnification. Um, <clears throat> it's going to have an etched reticle system. Uh, it's going to have an etched reticle, not system, but it's going to have an etched reticle uh, on the glass. Uh, that etched reticle is going to follow... Uh, their new BDC three or BDC four is gonna look familiar to that. If you've seen BDC three or seen BDC four, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, but it's gonna be that new setup. The closest way to equate it to, if you, it is a dumbed down version. Not a bad sense. It's a dumbed down version of their new one to ten of their Razor, their their uh, HD Razor uh, that they came out with. It's a very, very slim down version of that. If you also want to compare it to anything also, which is probably a more adequate uh, comparison, it is more like a, a ACSS reticle setup. Instead of having a Chevron, you got a dot for uh, for for that close distance for like zero to 200 yards. Uh, that's the best way to define it, uh, in my opinion. Uh, it's a nice sleek design, nice small body, uh, not as small. Small, but not as small as the primary micro micro prisms. Those things are on another level. Uh, you're not going to have exposed turrets, uh, turrets, I should say. The turrets are going to be inset into the body, so uh, no exposed turret. So that's going to be nice. Uh, three to five power magnification. Now these are a little expensive, right? So they're a little expensive, right? So for the three power Spitfire, it is going to retail price at MSRP of five forty nine ninety nine, and then the Five power Spitfire is going to retail at six forty nine ninety nine, so a hundred dollar difference, right? Uh, Vortex coming out with their two new prisms, going to have their lifetime warranty, going to have that new BDC, like I said, edge reticles, uh, illumination, obviously, uh, and uh, instead of exposed turns, they're going to be inset into the body or inlaid into the body, however you want to classify it. All right, so those are going to be that. Those are going to be the the prism scopes from Vortex. Uh, now I want to get into Shadow Systems' new full size Glock. Glock, I should say, not Glock. Glock. <laughs> Goodness gracious, again, tongue-tied. All right, now we're going to discuss uh, Shadow Systems' new uh, DR920 that they announced during shot the virtual shot show, I should say. Uh, the DR and the DR920 stands for duty roll. Uh, Shadow Systems designed this with military and law enforcement professionals, right? They took that knowledge that they got from them and their expertise and they put it into the DR920, okay? Uh, the features of the DR920 are going to be, you're going to have aggressive slide serrations, a flat face trigger, match grade barrel, optics compatible, and compatible to fit into a Glock 17 holster. Now, all of those things are good. The Glock 17 holster, I feel, is very important for this reason, right? I built a Polymer 80, full-size one, so a 17, and I expected for it to fit into my regular holsters. For my Glock 17, for my Glock 17s, no, doesn't fit. Doesn't fit. They they don't they don't fit at all. Without me adjusting or making adjustments to my holsters, which I won't do, it won't fit. It won't fit that won't won't fit that polymer eighty. So the fact that these weapons fit into already standard Glock 17 holsters is dope, right? So these DR nine twenties and the DR nine twenty two, which is their Glock nineteen their Glock 19 size pistol that Shadow Systems make. They're all built off of 
Glock Gen 3 architecture, right? So they're going to be very Glock. They're, they're built off a of Glock Gen 3 architecture. So they're taking that as a base and then they're building off that base, right? Same thing with the Polymer 80, but and Polymer 80 and a lot of other pistols uh, uh, that are out there like these. They're building off that Gen 3 or Gen 4 architecture. Uh, it comes in two different models, right? You're going to have combat and elite models. The combat, they, they generally look the same. The only difference is the elite models have a window cut on the sides. That's it. Everything else is legitimately <laughs> the same on these pistols, which is nice. But uh, you can also uh, pick out a uh, different color barrels. You can either do threaded or non-threaded, obviously. And you can do uh, a FDE, uh, a FD, no, I'm sorry, FDE Cerakote for the slide code. I'm sorry. Uh, you can either do for barrel finish, you can do a black nitride or a bronze tin, tin color, right? Kind of looks like a soft, like a darker rose gold. A barrel if you want to think about it that's what it looks like to me and at least in my uh look at least to me when i look at it uh but that's going to be your shadow systems uh dr920 pistol i don't know the price on it but it's a good solid weapon man uh it looks like a good solid weapon i've never heard anything bad about shadow system pistols before i don't think this will i think this will keep up with their pedigree of making good solid pistols off of that gen 3 architecture and just keep doing what they're doing, man. Uh, Shadow Systems make really good uh, pistols from what I've heard. I would love to try one of theirs, test one of theirs out, see where I feel about it. But that is their dual roll uh, 920 pistol that they just released. Price point unknown, and I don't know when it's going to be released. I will update when that does get released. And now we're going to get into what do we have next on the agenda. We're going to talk about Timmy's new trigger, okay? All right, now we're going to discuss uh, Timmy's Trigger's new Alpha Competition Glock Trigger, okay? All right, everybody knows Timmy Triggers. They've been in the industry for over 75 years. We have known them for making high-quality triggers for the AR-15 and AR-10 platform, okay? Um, now they're seeking to expand into the, into the pistol uh, pistol platform and they are choosing Glock, which is the first one to choose, which is a smart one. That's probably one of the most popular, if not be the most popular pistol within the U S just my opinion. Uh, I would say probably, probably if not be the most popular pistol in the U S top three. All right. So now Timmy is getting into the, uh, into, uh, the Glock trigger game. Uh, my thing that blows me away about this, uh, about this trigger is that it has a pull weight of three pounds from what i know that is the lowest pull weight for a glock aftermarket trigger <laughs> that you can find i know they're usually like about three and a half pounds that you can get with the disconnector right uh for that you have to put in uh you can get a like a three and a half pound disconnector <clears throat> i have never heard anything lower than three that this thing cheese a three to pound pull weight is pretty incredible uh that's a big selling feature for me. I just want to try this trigger out solely on the trigger pull, right? I have a 2011 that I had a buddy custom build for me. Uh, and that 2011 has a, about a two and a quarter trigger pull on it. And it's fucking phenomenal. And I love it. Uh, a Glock with a clean, crisp three pound trigger pull with a nice reset. I'm interested. I'm interested. I want to see, I want to see what Timmy brings to the table. And I think they're going to bring a good trigger to the table. Now, it's just like any other drop-in trigger. It's going to have that fat face, flat face, flat face <laughs> uh, for the trigger shoe. It's going to be coming in at three pounds. It's MSRP for it is 169 
I'm not 169, 164.99, right? It's available right now for Gen 3 and 4. Oh, well, not available. It will be available first for Gen 3 and 4. Later, Gen 5 will roll around, uh, roll down the road. I think the Gen 5 is going to be a little bit more expensive than Gen 5s might be. Hopefully, the Gen 5s are the same price. I feel like Gen 5s might be pushing a little under $200, but that's just my opinion. Uh, Timony Triggers, uh, Alpha Competition Glock Trigger is coming soon, sometime this year in 2021. I'm interested to see it in to see what it brings to the table. Like I said, my big thing is, is that you have a aftermarket trigger. This is big people with a pull weight of three pounds for a Glock pistol. Tell me if there is one out there that is lower than that. Please tell me, please let me know. Like I said, on all my Glock pistols, I run uh, agency triggers for the most part. And I have a three and a half pound uh disconnector inside but that's the lowest that i i know that you can find um uh, yeah if you can find anything lower than that poundage wise on pull let me know and i'll stand corrected but i think if timney triggers is successful for this it's going to change the game and it's going to force people to see if they can match this now let's if we if this is a, a successful three pound trigger why can't we push it to two and a half i know that's going to be super light some people ain't going to like that, but it's going to be dope for a competition gun, which is the trigger is designed for. It is called literally the Alpha Competition Glock Trigger. So I'm assuming it's for comps. Um, why can't we push it to two and a half? That's my thing. Let's see if we can push it to two and a half. But that's uh, one of the product releases that I'm also looking forward to. Another way I'm going to have to spend some money this year, man. Um, <laughs> but we'll see how it all plays out. All right, next up the bat for this uh, virtual SHOT Show discussion and things that I like, we're going to have the P320X Carry Legion, okay? So the Legion series of the Legion series for Sig Sauer has always been their top-of-the-line stuff, uh, their Gucci stuff. Uh, this is going to be their race stuff. It's going to be really, really nicely made firearm, right? Uh, so now we have a P320X Carry Legion, right? So it's going to have that Legion frame that's going to be on the X5 that we all know and love. It's just going to be chopped down uh chop down to smaller uh to 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 carry size right um which is going to be nice so now you have a carry 320 legion if you really wanted one uh which is dope it's going to be running that uh tungsten infused polymer situation that it has on the full size legion uh it's going to have that flat face trigger it's going to have uh, it's going to be optics ready it's going to have the sig day night sights on it uh and that's pretty much about it it's just going to be it's just another iteration of the the great modular p320 pistol now price point i don't know uh also don't know release is going to be released sometime this year i'm really interested in this because i was looking i really wanted to x carry oh it's going to have a threaded bearer also i really wanted to x carry tech ops but they stopped making those they discontinued those and that's what i wanted but you can't find those so this is the next closest thing to i can get to an x carry i mean to a x carry tech ops so I might invest in one of these, but they're going to be a little expensive. Um, <clears throat> yeah, man. Uh, P320 X Carry Legion. Looking forward into looking into that. Looking forward into that. Looking forward to that when it releases. Getting scratched, getting tongue tied. Uh, looking forward to that when it releases. Uh, like I said, P320 solid platform, uh, solid modular handgun. Looking forward to this one. Now the biggest question is the price point. We'll see where that all plays. 
All right, everyone, we are starting to wrap this thing up. We are on the final part of the first episode of The Gear Room, and we are going to be discussing the movie The Tax Collector, okay? The Tax Collector came out in August of 2020 when everything was still kind of locked down slash opening up. I don't really know what was going down during that time, but 2020 is pretty much a blur. But COVID and Rona was all that stuff was happening, so people weren't really going to the movies. Uh, it was written by David Ayer. Runtime about an hour and 35 minutes, right? Uh Movie stars Bobby Soto as David. That's one of your main characters. You're going to have Shia LaBeouf as Creeper. You're going to have Cynthia Carmona as his wife, Alexis. David's wife, Alexis. Uh, and then you're going to have George Lopez playing Uncle Lucas. You're going to also have Jimmy Smits, who is going to be playing David's father slash the kingpin of the organization. So the synopsis of this movie is two enforcers for a crime lord facing a certain future when an old rival appears. Okay. So. David and Creeper are enforcers, but I feel like David is more of he's he's he works for his father, but he's higher on the totem pole than people give. him. I feel like he's right under on the totem pole. He's like right under George Lopez's character, Uncle Lewis, when it comes down to order of power. Right. So he is a power player because that he's the son of the kingpin of the organization. Uh, I won't necessarily call him an enforcer, uh, but. Shia Bus character Creeper, he is definitely an enforcer. All right, so what happens is uh, <clears throat> David, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> David and Creeper, they go around tax collecting from all the gains and all the businesses within that area that they run, saying, "Hey man, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to do business here, you got to pay to play. So if you don't pay up, we're gonna send you to our boy Creeper, or we're gonna have Creeper come to you, and you don't want another Creeper, okay?" Uh, Creeper's character is the hitman for the one of the main hitmans for the organization. And you know from the cutscenes and the flashbacks that he's menacing. He's scary and he's a bad motherfucker. He's not somebody you want to play with. They make that they make sure that's known very early in the movie that he is not the one to be fucked with, right? So you got Shia LaBeouf character creeper, right? So uh like I said, an old rival appears in the situation. So I think I'm pronouncing the rival drug leaders gang uh rival rival gang leaders name properly i think it's conyo and conyo is from one of the mexican car cartels down south who's come up north up into the la area and say hey man we're taking this area over they all tech they all paying me now because they all work for me and that's where the whole disputes come down and then you got a big drug war going down so the movie nice and tight man it's not a lot of filler to it and i don't like filler because uh, with filler, you lose focus of the movie. So many of these movies try to extend the mo the runtime of them and to give you unnecessary filler that doesn't really necessarily add anything to the movie. Excuse me. So I was happy that they didn't add any of it, man. You can excuse me. You can give me a nice tight movie in an hour and 35 and tell a good story. And I think they did that here. Uh, it takes a little bit to get going. But once it gets going, the action and the violence is visceral, bloody, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, and badass. So it's really, really, really well played in that sense. Um, the first 30 to 45 minutes of the movie is character building and story building and a little bit of world building. So you're building the relationship between uh, David and Creeper, right, and how their inter uh, interactions work together, their work relationship is. And then you see the David, the, the interaction between David and Alexis, his old lady, you know what I'm saying? That dynamic, that family dynamic, right? And also with uh George Lopez, 
Lopez character, Uncle Lucas, Uncle, not Lucas, Uncle Lewis, you also see that parallel in that dynamic also, okay? That family dynamic and that business dynamic like rolled into one, which is uh, is a nice play, right? So you're getting the whole family dynamic. You're getting the whole dynamic of the organization and how it works and how everything flows. And then, boom, about, like I said, about 35, 45 minutes in, you get to, you get to the conflict. And like I said, it's it feels like it's a little slow getting to that conflict. But once it hits that conflict, it picks up and, then, and it's at a pace. And then the violence is, is visceral. It's in your face. It's motherfucking bloody and it's fucking delicious. And I, I love it. Um, So action scenes are on point. It's one scene of torture on it, which is always torture. Signals are always rough, but it's a good one. Um, that's in there. And then the action sequences are solid. Not going to get into the tactics of it. Some things I would have did tactically different, but that's just me being me, former military or law enforcement personnel. Every time they see something tactical, that's dicked up. They want to say something about it, but that's neither here nor there because I have to get scenarios within the movie. That's just going to give away the movie. But overall, action solid, visceral, in your face. And it's, it's brutal. I was liking it. I was feeling it. Um, yeah, man. It was overall a good movie. Now, I want to start talking about some things that I liked and I didn't like. Okay. My thing is, one thing I liked in this movie was Shia LaBeouf's portrayal as Creeper, right? His character, Creeper. He did a good job in this movie, right? And he doesn't get enough time to shine in this movie, which is unfortunate, right? Because you get this. They set him up to be this badass hitman. That is just nasty, ruthless motherfucker that will do work and does work well. You know what I'm saying? He does his wet work well, man. And you get this vibe out because everybody fears him. Everybody wants nothing to do with him. People don't even like looking him in the eye. You know what I'm saying? Because they know how much of a savage this motherfucker is. And you're waiting for that moment. You're like Spice, Spice Adams behind that tree or Spice Williams. I can't remember what, what's, uh, what's his name. But you behind that tree just like peeking like, yeah, he getting ready to do some work. They finna unleash him. And once they unleash him, we going to see the work that this man can do. And it never happens. And you're, leave, you're left one, man. You're like left like, man, I wanted to see what Creeper could really do, dog. And they just keep it. They just tie his hands a little bit. You don't really get to see much of him. Now, acting wise, Shia LaBeouf did a good job. Uh, he did a good job. Some people were beefing about. His his, I guess, cholo accent or whatever. They thought he was trying to be too cholo or trying to do too much of an accent. I didn't think it was bad. I thought it was good. I couldn't really tell that he was trying to do one. Uh, but I had some of my friends watch it and they said like he was trying to push his accent, trying to do an accent, a cholo accent too much, which I didn't catch. That was just me though. Um Bobby Soto was good as David. Everybody really did uh, a solid job acting in this movie. Um yeah, man, it was just a really solid movie. Thing that another thing that surprised me is that people were surprised that George Lopez did a good job as Uncle Lewis, which doesn't surprise me because a lot of good comedians make good dramatic actors, right? So that doesn't surprise me that he did a good job acting in this movie. Um, his scenes are limited. Not he, He's in the movie throughout, but his scenes are limited. And the scenes that he, he, he is in, he commands presence. He has command presence, and he does a good job and is natural. It doesn't seem like it's anything off the wall and you take him seriously like you. You can tell like he's a dude that's second in charge and you don't fuck with him. Right. So overall, I think George Lopez did a job. I think overall the whole cast did a good job. This was a really, really good movie, man. Um, I was I came into watching this movie expecting nothing. Right. It, I turned on Hulu one day uh, last week on my day off. I turned on Hulu 
it was first thing that popped up on Hulu, to, you know, suggested to watch. I was like, whatever. I've seen trailers for it. Wasn't sure about it. Watched it. Enjoyed it, man. It's a good, gritty crime drama slash, you know, action movie. You know what I'm saying? Uh, by David Ayer. Like, he's done good stuff, right? Um, so you won't be disappointed. Uh, so let's see what David Ayer's done real quick. Um, give me a moment. So David Ayer, give you, give you, give you a little taste. Spring a little, spring a little salt on it. Give you a little taste of what he's done. Okay, he's done the movie Bright, which I enjoy. He's done Fury. He's done End of Watch. He's done SWAT. He's done Training Day. Those are just some of the highlights the man's done, right? So I didn't even know he wrote Training Day to be asked, to be honest with you. That was surprising me when I originally looked this up. Um, but yeah, so he's done Training Day. Great movie, right? He's done SWAT. I thought it was a solid movie. I really like SWAT. And to watch, everybody loves. Fury, everybody loves. He also did Sabotage. That's kind of like a hit or miss. There's good points about Sabotage, and it has a lot of plot holes, and it's just the right. Well, he didn't write that one, but there's some writing issues with that one. He directed that one. There's some writing issues, some plot holes and stuff like that, but it's not that bad. He did Bright, which I love. I thought Bright was a good movie. I would like to see the sequel to that movie, but well, I don't know when that's going to happen. And he also did uh, The Tax Collector. The Tax Collector. Okay. Uh, my bad. He didn't write Bright. He directed it. I'm sorry. But Bright was still a good movie. So whoever wrote Bright did a good job. So the thing I noticed about a lot of his movies, the audience scores are solid. The critic scores suck. So prime example, right? Let's go through the list of the movies I just talked about. The Tax Collector, the most recent one he done. He's he's did. Audience score, 72%. Critic, 19%. Bright, audience score, 83%. Critic score, 27%. Um, sabotage. Sabotage, like I said, is kind of like, that one's a very divisive one. Uh, people who like it and don't. Sabotage, 36%. Critic score, uh, I'm sorry, 36%. Audience score, 22% critic score. Theory, 84%. Audience score, 70, 76% critic score. End of Watch, which everybody loves for the most part. I love End of Watch. End of Watch, really good movie. Uh, End of Watch, 86%. Audience score, 85%. Critic score. And then we have Training Day, which is 89%. Audience score, 73%. Critic score. Now, I think Training Day is getting straight shafted, slash shitted on in this situation. Because <clears throat> Training Day is a phenomenal movie. And you can't tell me that Training Day is not a phenomenal movie, man. It's a, it's one of Denzel's greatest movies uh, that he's ever done. Denzel has a lot greatest a lot of great movies, but that's easily within his top three, if not top five. He de it's definitely in my top top three Denzel movies. Uh, definitely should be within everybody's top ten when it comes down to Denzel movies. And that movie is so good, and I feel like the critics are shitting on giving it a seventy three because uh, eighty nine I think is more correct on the on the audience score in that situation. So David Ayer's done good stuff. Uh, I think he does the same thing here with with uh, the tax collector. The tax collector is a good movie. Like I said, it's a it's a good crime drama slash you know modern gangster movie. If you're looking for one, the action is gritty, visceral, and violent. It's bloody, but it's like that good bloody type of stuff. Uh, the the uh, the action is good. Like I just said. <clears throat> The actors do a really good job. The store is nice and tight. Not a lot of filler to it. Uh, if you're looking for a good movie to catch, um, it's on Hulu. You can also rent it on Vudu. Uh, Renner slash buy it on Vudu. 
it's a really good movie written by david ayer uh the tax collector check it out if you have a chance and uh let me know in the comments what you think <clears throat> think if you have seen it if you like it or not uh just let your boy know and we'll just go from there have a conversation about it all right All right, everyone, that about wraps it up for the first episode of The Gear Room. Today, we discuss H.R. 127, which is a gun registry that will lead to confiscation, what I found interesting from Virtual Shot Show, then wrapping it up with my movie recommendation of The Tax Collector. This is your boy, Drew, from The Gear Room. Until next time, peace.